Okay, um, praise the Lord. Okay, hallelujah. Let us pray, please. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Bless your name. We worship your name. We thank you for how you have been with us throughout the day. Thank you because it is only you who can do what you have done. Father, we worship your name, we magnify your name, and your name be highly exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into your word this hour, this evening, Lord, come and speak through your servant to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything that would come forth from him will be from you to us, will be the word we need throughout this week, throughout the rest of the month, throughout the rest of the year, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Blessed be your name. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so on on um, Mixeller, right, just for a comment that you're not, you're not able to hear um, what he's saying on Zoom properly, right? Um, and that is because that is because I'm using um, I'm using a different laptop for Mixer, right? And I'm using a different one for Zoom. So I've not just been able to consolidate everything together. So please pardon me for today. You might not be, you might not hear comments from um, Zoom very audibly. All right. And in cases like that, I'll just reiterate what they say so you can hear them. All right. So that's for people on Mixer. Okay. And that was just for today. Please we would, we would sort everything out by next week. Okay, all right, thank you everyone. Um, today we are looking at the believer's altar. And um, in fact, I'm really trusting God for the grace to come to finish up what I have in my notes here. Oh, by the way, there's no, no slide as well for today. Um, I just had a very busy day at work, so I didn't quite get time to, um, to compile the slides. All right, but I'll just read from my notes and please follow me. And if there's any, any, any um, area that is not clear to you, please, as we always do, feel free to ask questions and um, yeah, by God's grace, you will get answers, all right? So we're looking at the believer's altar and this is an offshoot of our, of our fiscal meeting in Lagos. And, and by the way, we're having a fiscal meeting in Abuja on Saturday. So please, if you are available in Abuja, we would love for you to come around. If you are not in Abuja, please do well to invite someone, okay? Now, this is an offshoot of what we talked about in our, in our fiscal meeting in, um, in Lagos. And, um, and this is, sorry, just a minute, please. All right, good. All right, and this is super important because it, we looked at king and priest, right, basically um, in our meeting. And we saw the fact that every believer is called to occupy two offices um, simultaneously the office of a priest, and then the office of a king. And we saw ex extensively at, at, at our meeting that the, the um, office of the king, the strength of the throne, all right? So this is what we said. We said there is no kingship without a throne, and there is no priesthood without an altar. However, the strength of the, of the throne is derived from the accuracy of the altar, meaning the king is only as powerful and as authoritative spiritually now um, to the level to which his altar is accurate. So when we are accurate in our altar before God, 
we our kingly position is strengthened. So we draw, draw spiritual authority from the accuracy of our priesthood. That's what we said, okay? And um, But for today's study, we are narrowing down on the priesthood because it is that is where everything originates from. That is where um, our, our assignment and our strength and everything begins from. And, and like we said, again, in our fiscal meeting in Lagos, we said that it first starts from, from the private, right, before it becomes public. What that means is your kingship, your kingly duties are typically public in nature, meaning you are interfacing with people, you are exercising authority over, over territories and over people and all of that. However, your priestly, priestly responsibilities begin in the secret, okay? And it is this activities of the secret that give strength to the activities of the uh, in, in the public. So we all said this way that it starts from the secret before it goes to the public. And this is why we're looking at, um, uh, we're looking at the believer's altar today, okay? So for, for our scriptural um, you know, introduction, let's read 1 Kings chapter 18. And please, if you are there, I would love for you to read for us. First Kings chapter 18, verse 30 to 36. First Kings chapter 18, verse 30 to 36. Anybody that is there should please help us read the story. First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18, um, verse 30 to 36. Okay, let me read it. Um, verse 30, right? I'm reading from the King James Version. So this is the story of Elijah when he called down fire from heaven. Okay, and um, just to give us context. So verse 30 says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near, near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, you, many of us already know the story that um, for a while Israel had turned away from God, and so because of that, God called God had um, um, what was it called? God had said unto them that um, there wouldn't be water; they'll be in, in a state of famine for three and a half years. And it was Elijah that came and gave that prophecy. And after some time, Elijah resurfaced again, and then he gathered everybody around and said, "You know what? Let's stop dilly-dallying between who is truly God." And let us set a very simple metrics, a simple simple parameter and a test that will put a sacrifice and will not will put an, an offering right and will not light fire on it. You will call upon your, the name of your God. I will call upon the name of my God, and the God who answers by fire will be will be deemed as the right God to worship. And that was the contest. Now at this point, right, the people had called upon the name of their gods and everything, and yet nothing had happened. They had even began to cut themselves and make incisions and, you know, blood was flowing out, right? Which, like I said, um, on Saturday, two Saturdays ago, in itself was a form of sacrifice, okay? But yet there was no, uh, no response from their own God. And so at this point, Elijah now gathered the people together and said, you know what, come together and let me call upon the name of my God. But the first thing Elijah did, which we must not miss, is that, look at verse 30, says, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The first thing Elijah did was he repaired the altar. For him to have done this means that the altar was very significant to what he was about to do. 
means that the altar was very significant to the manifestation of the power of God. Elijah was about to was about to invoke a dramatic manifestation of God's power, was about to um, um, manifest physically now the, the greatness of God. And Elijah, the first thing Elijah did was to repair the altar of the Lord. And this is very significant as we'll, continue, as we'll see in our study. So verse 31, and, he, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. This is First Kings chapter 18. I'm reading verse 31 now. So verse, verse 32, sorry. Um, sorry, let me take, go verse 31 now. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. Verse 35, and the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now, Elijah, before I continue reading, what Elijah did was he removed every possible scenario for human explanation of fire. Okay, meaning Elijah wanted to be, to prove to the people that this fire that is about to come was was directly from God. Okay, and so what he did was to remove every possible scenario, every possible scenario for the um, for the explanation of of a physical um, occurrence. Right. So some someone could have said, for instance, that oh well, you know, it is um, wildfires. Maybe the sun was too hot. And there was a chemical in the animal that reacted with the radiation from the sun. And because of the gamma rays, it just caught fire. There could be very, so many scientific explanations. So Elijah wanted to remove the opportunities for those scientific explanations. And so he asked them to pour water several times. Verse 36. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Again, this is something I want us to note. That it came to pass at the time of evening, uh, time of the off offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, and said, Lord God of Israel, sorry, Lord God of Isaac, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in heaven, and I have done, and I am thy servant, and and that I have done all this at thy word. So the Bible says that Elijah waited till the time of the evening sacrifice. So we are seeing two things very importantly. Number one is that he repaired the altar. Number two is that he factored in the, the, the moment of sacrifice. So altar number one, sacrifice number two. So those are two things I want us to take note of. All right. Then verse 37, he goes on to pray and says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Verse 38, then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. So fire came down after Elijah had, had taken note of setting um, um, setting important steps, 
all right? He prayed and then fire came down. Now, I want you to think about this, for instance. Um, let's say someone, if you want to cook food, for instance, right? You will prepare the things you need for the food before you begin cooking it. If you want to cook um, yam, for instance, all right, you cut the yam, you peel off the back, you cut the yam and you begin to prepare it with all the, all the other ingredients. That's what Elijah was doing. He wanted to call fire, but he knew that there were certain ingredients that needed to be prepared before the manifestation of fire. And this is true for every, every supernatural manifestation of God in our lives, that there are certain things that must precede the manifestation of God. And two things we're pointing out here is number one, altar, and number two is sacrifice, all right? So let us take note of that. Okay, second thing I want to, second scripture I want us to read before we, you know, dive deep into this is um, Judges chapter 13, verse 15 to 21. Judges chapter, Judges, sorry, chapter 13, verse 15 to verse 21. Hallelujah. Judges chapter 15, um, chapter 13, verse 15 to verse 21. Um, while we are turning there, I want to just say something concerning the last um, scripture we just read, and it's the fact that um, is the fact that every time. So the first thing Elijah did, and which I emphasize, right? And let me say it again: the first thing Elijah did was to repair the altar, and this is also true for a lot of us spiritually. Every time there will be a manifestation, a consistent manifestation of the power of God in our lives, a consistent manifestation of the move of God in our lives, then our altar must be intact. And like I said, um, when we met on Saturday, right, in Lagos, I said that if we want to see a consistent manifestation of God in our lives, meaning that I've ever looked at people and when they tell you, they, they almost always have testimonies. Have you ever met people like that? That's you, when you look at their lives, there are repeated patterns of God's goodness and of God manifesting himself in their lives, all right? The reason is because they have an altar that God, that, that is always intact and is the basis for which God can consistently visit them, all right? So the first thing a lot of Christians need to do is to repair their altar before God, all right? So Judges chapter, I can't imagine, I wasn't turning there. <laughs> Judges chapter 13, please read if you are there. Um, Judges chapter 13, um, verse 15 to 21. Um, your voice is faint. Can you hear me? Okay, yes, it better now. Okay, um, Judges 13, 15 to 21, yes. Okay, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us sustain you and let us prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Those will be saying, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a bone offering, offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your goat comes through, we may follow you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Saying it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So Manoah took the young goat with the great offering and offered it as a reward to the Lord. And he performed miracles while Manoah and his wife looked on 
Verse 21. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, Antumi. So apologies for those of us on Mixella. I know we didn't hear the reading quite clearly. Um, and I, I said to us, we'll fix it from next week. But basically, this is the story of um, Samson's parents, all right? So this is um, Samson's mother and father, right, before Samson was born. And an angel of the Lord appeared, initially had appeared onto um, Samson's, had appeared onto Samson's mother, all right, and um, and said to her that, oh, you're going to be with the child, he'll be a Nazarene, make sure he do, you don't drink any wine during his pregnancy, make sure you keep him and all of that, he doesn't cut his hair. And the angel left instructions for Samson's mother, um, but the first time the angel came, Samson's father wasn't around, okay? And um, so the angel, um, the woman begged the angel and said, you know what, please, if I found favor, favor on your side, and at which at this point she didn't know it was an angel anyways, but she begged and said, can you come back again? And so the angel honored her, her request and came back. And this time around, um, Manu Adas, um, Samson's father was, was around, okay? And then after the information the angel delivered to them, the um both parents now begged the angel and said you know what just hold on here wait let's go and prepare something for you but the angel said don't worry if you're going to sacrifice anything sacrifice it unto the lord okay so i want to read verse um verse 19 so manoah took a a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the lord okay so we begin to see priesthood playing out and we begin to see um we begin to see the, the dynamics of altar and sacrifice so it says that he um he offered it up unto the lord yes and the angel did wondrously and manoah and his wife looked upon he says for it came to pass that when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the lord ascended in the flame of the altar and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. So they offered the burnt offering. And while the offering was going, the incense of the offering was going up, the angel ascended together with the, with the incense. Now, I, I read this scripture to, to explain something to us, right? That And to also show us, first of all, the dynamics of altar and sacrifice, right? Um, just like we saw with, with, um, with uh, was Elijah, where we just read now that the supernatural comes into play when there's an altar and when there's a sacrifice, okay? And this scripture now brings me to the next, to our definition of an altar or, or my definition of an altar, okay? And I said here that an altar, right? Please follow me now. This is my definition. An altar is the infrastructure by which the physical realm makes contact and interacts with the spiritual realm. Let me take that again. An altar is the infrastructure by which the physical realm makes contact with and interacts with the spiritual realm. All right? And so what this means is that every time 
the two realms would interact, okay? There must be an infrastructure. So what I mean by infrastructure is this. For instance, if I pick up my phone to call a friend, the phone provides the, or the, the well, the phone system, let me put it that way. The phone system, meaning the telecoms, the cables, everything that they run, the phone and the system provides the infrastructure for me to communicate with my friend even though my friend might be in, a, in an entirely different country from where I am, all right? But I can talk to my friend because there's an infrastructure that facilitates that communication. It is the same way also that the, an altar is the infrastructure that facilitates the communication and interaction of the physical realm with the supernatural realm or with the spiritual realm, all right? And just like we saw in the case of Manoah, where we just read now, that the angel began to ascend right when the sacrifice on the altar began to go up, meaning when an altar is erected and is done properly and is accepted, right? That means an altar is erected, sacrifice is placed on the altar, then a portal for heavenly interaction or spiritual interaction has opened up, okay? Now, let me just say here also that it is this same principle that the demonic kingdom also uses, okay? And that's why you see a lot of, and I, I, I feel like, um, a lot of people in the demonic world, right, understand this concept more than even believers understand it. And don't worry, I'm going to explain what an altar and what the sacrifice means for us as believers. So no, you're not killing goats, you're not killing rams, you're not killing anything. But I'm going to explain to you what that um, concept, how that concept applies to us as believers. Now, this concept, like I explained, is what is, 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 a, is a universally spiritual concept, whether for good or for bad, whether used by the kingdom of light or by the kingdom of darkness but it's a concept you must understand that the altar right is provides the infrastructure for the physical realm to communicate with the spiritual realm okay so once an altar is erected once sacrifice is made upon the altar then the window of communication has now been opened it is almost like when you buy airtime on your phone for instance you want to make um call you need airtime on your phone Airtime on your phone opens, gives you the channel to make a conversation with your friend that may be in, in a different country, right? Or if we are, if you're using WhatsApp call or FaceTime or Zoom or anything, your data is what gives you the access to communicate through, okay? That is the kind of infrastructure that an altar provides, all right? So let me take my definition again. I said here that the, an altar is the infrastructure by which the physical realm makes contact with, sorry, makes contact with and interacts with the spiritual realm. So when Elijah was going to call down fire from above, before he prayed, okay, he first erected an altar and he placed a bunch or he placed a sacrifice on it and then he prayed. So his prayer would have been powerless if there was no altar and there was no sacrifice, okay? And if you look at the words of his prayer, it, it, there's nothing really deep. Permit me to say it that way. There's nothing really deep or fascinating about the words he used. There's nothing necessarily spectacular about the words that he used. Okay, that's something that anybody could have made those statements, but and nothing could have happened. So, what made Elijah's prayer powerful was because there was an altar and there was sacrifice erected on that altar. It was that arrangement, that infrastructure that made his prayer powerful. Okay, so every time we want to make contact with the spiritual realm then an altar and sacrifice will be needed. And please don't worry, this may, may initially sound spooky, but please just follow me on this, all right? I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will lay the foundation and then show us how this 
applies for us as believers. Okay. So having said that now, um, the next thing I want to say to us is that the power source of every altar is the sacrifice that is made on it. All right. The power source of every altar is the sacrifice that is made on it and to whom the sacrifice is made. Meaning what makes an altar powerful is the quality of the sacrifice placed on it and the person to whom that sacrifice is made. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let me, I, mean, I need to give us an example now. Let's go to um, Genesis, Genesis chapter four. I just want to give us a quick example for uh, on this one. Genesis chapter four, verse, let us read, I'm just going to read quickly uh, from verse four, okay? Genesis chapter four, verse four, this about Cain and Abel. So it says, and Abel, he also brought up the firstlings. Oh, sorry, let's start from verse three, I beg your pardon. Verse three, and it came to pass, and, it, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had re respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. He had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Okay, so Cain and Abel brought an offering unto the Lord. And the Bible says that God respected Cain, God respected Ab Abraham. Sorry, God respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Okay, and this made Cain very angry. But what I want you to, what I want to point out, right, from this scripture is the fact that the quality of the sacrifice, right, the quality of the altar is determined by the um by the quality. Sorry, let me take that again one, one minute. The power rather or the strength of the altar is determined by the quality of the sacrifice placed on it. So the sacrifice Abel brought was more valuable to God than the sacrifice Cain brought for diverse reasons, all right? And there's, there are, um, you know, um, theologians say that the reason is because Abel brought a sacrifice of blood, right? And um, Cain didn't bring a sacrifice of blood. But whatever the case is, Abel's sacrifice was had more value, right, than Cain's sacrifice. And because of that, the altar Abraham, so the altar Abel, I beg your pardon, the altar Abel erected was stronger than the altar Cain erected. So I'm saying this again to say the fact that the power source of every altar is the sacrifice placed on it and to whom the sacrifice was made. Okay? Meaning that if a sacrifice is, for instance, now in the case of um, Elijah, where we just read in 1 Kings chapter 18, the sacrifice was made to God, whereas the sacrifice for the for the other people was made onto an idol. So because the because of the because the sacrifice was made unto God, because the sacrifice Elijah was making was was unto God, his own sacrifice had more power, his own altar had more um, potency than the altar of the other people. Okay. So two things that determine the strength of your altar: the sacrifice that is placed on it and to whom the sacrifice is made. Okay, never, never forget that. All right. The next thing I want to say is that every altar is sustained by continuous sacrifice. And this is the reason why in the Old Testament, under the law, sacrifice had to be made year in, year out. Okay. And the book of Hebrews explains it to us that um, um, 
because the blood of bulls and of goats and rams was not sufficient to take away sins, it had to be made year in and year out. So the altar, and what that really means is that if the high priest sacrificed um, and sacrificed a ram, for instance, today, it would take a one-year period for the potency of that um, of the blood of the ram to expire. And so the, the, the priest will have to come and pretty much renew that sacrifice again, just the same way you have your subscription for internet, subscription for you know your streaming platforms or whatever it is. You have to renew it after a period. It was in the same way that the, the priest had to renew the sacrifice on the altar because of the, of the potency of the, of the blood of the animals. It, the blood of animal did not have a perpetual um, and everlasting potency. So the, the priest had to renew it year in, year out. Okay, but it's an altar is sustained by the by continuous sacrifice. All right, and that's the third point I want to know. I want us to note that an altar is sustained by continuous sacrifice. All right. Now, next thing I also want to state here is that incense before God is as a result of an accepted sacrifice on the altar. What that means is when God accepts a sacrifice on your altar or when God accepts a sacrifice on the altar, it comes up to him as incense, all right? <clears throat> and when we, when we read in Judges chapter, chapter 13, shows a very practical instance that when they offered this, um, the animal on the altar, the incense went up to God and the angel ascended in that incense. I want to show us another um, instance as well. Still in the book of Genesis chapter 8, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Now I'm laying all this foundation just so that we have a basic concept of what altar means so that when I begin to show the application in our own Christian life, it actually makes sense. All right. So Genesis chapter eight, verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any anymore every living everything living as, as I have done. So this was the story of Noah and after the flood had come and all of that, and Noah offered a sacrifice unto God. And this is what the Bible says that the Lord smelled a sweet savor. So when God accepts a sacrifice, it comes to him as incense. It comes to him as sweet smelling savor um, before him. All right. Um, so yeah, so when a sacrifice is accepted and that's what happened when in the case of Abel, Cain and Abel, that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and God received it as a sweet smelling savor and as incense unto him. All right, so all of these things I'm saying, how does this then translate into our lives? All right, how does this connect to us? Because we have seen that there's altar, the sacrifice. So really, how what does this really even mean to us? All right, now I want to I want us to go back to the scripture we read in. Um, this is First Peter, First um, Peter chapter two, verse five to nine. So this begins the introduction to how this applies to our lives um, in this day and age. Since we're not offering bulls and rams and all of that, so how does this apply? First Peter chapter two, verse five to nine. First Peter chapter 2, all right, verse 5 to 9, and I read. It says, Ye also, 
Okay, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. It says a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. This is a very powerful scripture and I won't read it again. It says you or when it says you or meaning every single believer and this was Apostle Peter writing. He says you all, every single one of us, right, believers. He says that we are, we are as lively stones, meaning stones that are, are alive, built up a spiritual house. He says a, a holy priesthood. You know, it was still Peter that said, okay, and okay, we're going to get to that. Let, let, me, let me just read this. It says a holy priesthood. And the reason why we are a holy priesthood is to offer up sacrifices that are acceptable unto God. So God calls us, a, God calls us priests or God calls us, you know, priesthood, royal priesthood, all right? And let me just, uh, before I come back to verse five, let me um, skip down to verse nine and, and read it. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So God calls us a royal priesthood, um, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show for the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter explains to us that God has called us priests. And as priests, we are supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto the Lord, all right? So this is where our, our application starts from. Peter clearly, clearly explains to us that we, are, we have been called to be priests, all right? And just as it is with every priest, you are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And one of the things I said on um, during our meeting on Saturday in Lagos is that there is no um, I, I, let me write, I wrote it down, let me quote here. I said, there is no priesthood without an altar and there is no altar without a sacrifice. So remember Peter said that we are priesthood called to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto God. So God calls us priests and as priests, our primary responsibility is to offer sacrifices, all right? That is why I said there is no priesthood without an altar and there is no altar without sacrifices, all right? Never forget this. There is no priesthood without an altar, and there is no altar without sacrifices. And Peter clearly has said here that God has called us to be priests so that we might offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto him. What that means also is that there, there are sacrifices that are not acceptable unto God. I mean, all right. And a good example is where we read in um, Genesis chapter four, the, the sacrifice that Cain brought was not acceptable unto God. And God said, if you, if you have brought something acceptable, wouldn't I have, you know, pretty much looked upon you. So there are sacrifices that are not acceptable, right? But there are sacrifices that are acceptable and we are called to offer up sacrifices unto God. But look at what Peter said. He says, um, a, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. That begins to make me wonder, so what is a spiritual sacrifice? That should be the obvious question, okay? Meaning that our sacrifice is not a physical sacrifice like bulls, rams, and all of that. It is a spiritual sacrifice. So my first question to us is, what is a spiritual sacrifice? Or how do you identify a spiritual sacrifice? Because we're not just called to offer sacrifices. I mean, if it was just sacrifices, then I'll just maybe look for a cow and offer it, or maybe just give money or give, give something else, you know, and offer it as long as it's fiscal and just give it, give it up, you know, and that would form the basis of my sacrifice. But when it says a spiritual sacrifice, what does that really mean? Okay, 
I would love to hear answers. So um, please, if you're on, on MixLR, MixLR, please type in your answer. What does a spiritual sacrifice mean to you? If you're on Zoom, I also would love to hear your answer. What does a spiritual sacrifice mean to you? Okay, I'll give examples of a spiritual sacrifice. All right, so please just drop that in. Um, I would continue the teaching because um, we don't have so much time left. Okay, so we have been called to offer spiritual sacrifices to, to God. Um, now, the only challenge is that my for me to move further, I will pretty much answer this question. All right, so that's fine anyways. While you're still ruminating and thinking about what the spiritual sacrifice is, let me just begin to, let me go on with the study. Now, if you say, if you ask us what a sacrifice is or what are some sacrifices a believer can offer, right? Um, I, I'm sure some of us will say um, something like, you know, offer your money as a sacrifice, maybe giving your money to a church or to a to someone in need or to a, to a worthy cause that God is leading you to. That would be a sacrifice, right? Um, someone will say, also say um, the sacrifice of praise, right, which we, is captured in the book of Hebrews, offer unto God the sacrifice of praise, um, which is the fruit of our lips, um, the fruit of our lips, sacrifice of praise, you know, giving thanks unto God, which is very correct. Someone else will also say that um, a sacrifice could be you spending time in prayer and, and intercession for people or for the move of God in your territory, and that is fantastic, okay? Someone else will say, you know, sacrificing your time um, volunteering in, in church or in your, in your ministries or something or something like that. And that is absolutely correct. However, I want to say this, that the number one sacrifice that God demands from the believer, and this is really the crux of tonight's, um, of tonight's teaching, the number one sacrifice God demands from a believer is a surrendered and a consecrated life. Never forget this. The number one sacrifice God demands from a believer is a surrendered and a consecrated life. All right. Remember, the Bible says that we have been called to offer, we have been called as priests to offer spiritual sacrifices. The number one sacrifice, right? The number one sacrifice that we have been called to offer is the sacrifice of our lives itself. All right. The sacrifice of a, a consecrated and a surrendered life all right and a spiritual sacrifice simply means a sacrifice that the value right is recognized in the realm of the spirit what that means is if for instance i take out my take out let's say i i, I take out money and give to someone and i and i think it's a sacrifice but if in the realm of the spirit it is not counted as a sacrifice then even though I have given money, it is not, it is not yet a sacrifice, all right? And a good, a, a, a story that captures this excellently is the story of Saul, right? In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, we'll make, we'll read that much later. But Saul went, God gave instructions to Saul to, to um, totally destroy a particular um, country. But Saul felt like, well, let me give, let me give God some, some sacrifices from it. Let me take some sheep and cattle and all of that. And he took that and offered unto God. But in the sight of God, what he offered was not counted as a sacrifice. Meaning, even though he made a sacrifice, it was not a spiritual sacrifice. So a spiritual sacrifice is a sacrifice that has value in the realm of the spirit. So the sacrifice that Saul offered did not have any value in the realm of the spirit. And the obvious reason was because it was a sacrifice done out of disobedience. All right, a sacrifice that did not factor in the obedience um, of God first before it was, it was offered. 
All right. So that is what a spiritual sacrifice is. So out of, and like I said, now back to what I was saying, out of the so many things that we can sacrifice as believers, the first and the most important sacrifice God demands from us is the sacrifice of a consecrated and a surrendered life. And if you were with us on Saturday, you um in our fiscal meeting, right, this was, uh, I think, last or two Saturdays ago now, you will know that this has been an emphasis for us, all right, that God wants us to live consecrated and surrendered lives. Okay, now several scriptures I want to read for us um, today to buttress this point. So let's start with Romans chapter, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, the book of Romans chapter 12. Um, I'll just read several scriptures to emphasize this point, okay? So Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So as priests, one of the things we're presenting, right? And I said, like I said, the first thing, we're, first thing we're presenting is a surrendered life. So you are surrendering your body on the altar. He says, as a living sacrifice. He says, holy, acceptable unto God. The word holy means consecrated. It means separated. So when you offer yourself as a sacrifice, what you are doing is that you are separating yourself unto God. And then he says next that, that it is acceptable unto God, meaning this is the kind of sacrifice that God wants. You know, uh, Peter said, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where we read, he says that God has called us as priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto the Lord. And Paul now is telling us the kind of sacrifice that is acceptable. Okay, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, <clears throat> holy, meaning consecrated, and then that is the sacrifice that is accepted that is acceptable unto the Lord. And Paul goes on to say it is your reasonable sacrifice. So this is the first scripture I want us to, um, to I, want, I want to give us to portray this point, that your surrendered life is on your altar is a strong sacrifice, you know? Remember I said to us that an altar is the infrastructure by which the physical realm makes contact with the supernatural realm, with the spiritual realm. So when this physical realm wants to contact the spiritual realm, it does so through the infrastructure of an altar. And I said that the strength of an altar is determined by the sacrifice upon the altar and to whom the sacrifice is made. Now I'm saying this that, now that we've come to the application in our own lives, I'm saying that the strength of your infrastructure, the, the, you know, you, you as a believer, right, um, one needs to make, contact with the spiritual realm on a consistent basis, okay? On a consistent basis, you are making contact with the spiritual realm. You know, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Bible refers to us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So part among the so many things we are called, we are, we are also called temples. Now in every temple, the center of the temple is the altar where the sacrifice is made. That is the center of attraction. And that's why in the olden days, the altar was placed in the Holy of Holies. So what God is saying is that we are the temple of God, the center of our, and, and the by, temple of God there means we have been given the capacity to accommodate and to host God, all right? And God is now saying that the center of that, of that temple is our altar, the altar of our lives, all right? And the strength of the altar is the sacrifice that we place on it. And again, like I said, the first and most important sacrifice we offer to God is a surrendered and a consecrated life. So if you want to make strong, if you want your 
you want your infrastructure to be stronger, then your altar has to be, that means, I'm sorry, then your sacrifice has to be better, right? And when I say infrastructure, again, I'm referring to the altar. Victor, you're muted. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, so can you hear me now? No. Okay, can you hear me? All right. Um, please confirm again. Anyone can anyone else can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, Victor. Oh. Okay, fantastic. Victor, we can't hear you anymore. And as believers, we are expected to make contact with that supernatural dimension on a consistent basis. So if you want that strength of connection to be, um, if you want that connection to be stronger, all right, then you need to check what is on your altar. What are you sacrificing on your altar? And like I said, the, the um, um, I said here that the power of every altar is determined by the sacrifice that is placed on it. So the first sacrifice is your surrenderedness to God. So my question is, how much, how surrendered is your life to God, right? How, how consecrated and surrendered is your life to God? Because that is what will determine the strength of access to the spiritual dimension. Does, does that make sense? Because every time, I mean, you look at someone, for instance, maybe you look at a pastor or a man of God you admire, and you say, wow, I admire the way this person hears God. You know, the person just goes to pray and immediately he hears God or the person, you know, is preaching and we see the manifestation of God's power or the person gives a prophecy and it is accurate. And you're wondering, oh, my God, how, how can I get to that? There might be the factor or the element of, of the gifting of God, but much more than that and stronger than that is the altar of the person's life before God. All right. So your surrenderedness, the extent to which you have surrendered to God and you are consecrated to God, will always determine will always determine how strong your altar is, because that is the first and most important sacrifice God ever demands from us. All right. Please never, 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 never forget that. Okay. So that is the first sacrifice, um, and first, first and most important sacrifice God demands from from us. All right. 
Second scripture I want us to look at still on this point is Psalm 51, verse 17. Someone should please read for us Psalm 51, verse 17. Anybody there, please read for us Psalm 51, verse 17. Um, all right, let me read there. Psalm 51, verse 17. This was a prayer by David after he had, um, Nathan had corrected him for what he had done with Bathsheba. Okay, so verse 17 says, the sacrifices of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite spirit, uh, a broken and contrite heart, rather, oh God, thou will not despise. David gave us an insight. In fact, if you look at verse, verse 16, David began to make some very bold statements, and he said that, for thou desired not, you don't desire sacrifice, or, or else I would have given it to you. And this is very, very strange, because just like the writer of Hebrews noted that sacrifices were things that God had demanded under the law. So how come David could come and say you don't demand sacrifice. That was because David had an, a, a deeper revelation about what God actually wanted. And he said that it's not really the sacrifice that he wants. What he wants is, first of all, your heart. A broken heart. A broken heart means a surrendered heart, right? A heart that has been broken before God, meaning a heart that he has, has loosened its grip and its, um, um, that, has, that has given up its, its rights before God. And that is what David says, that that is the sacrifice that God is looking for. So again, I put it to us that the first and most important sacrifice that God demands for us is the sacrifice of a surrendered and a consecrated life. If you want your altar to be strong, listen, I know when we talk of altar, many times the first thing we think about is prayer, all right? Because that's, and that's very important, by the way. Um, but most times we talk about the prayer altar. But even before you get to the point of praying, you must come with a surrendered heart. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Meaning the person that comes before God with a surrendered heart is the person that gets access to the grace of God. So that is your first sacrifice and most important sacrifice that God demands from us. The sacrifice of a surrendered and a consecrated heart. So you want your altar to be strong. You want to be able to go before God and begin to just have quick access to the realm of the spirit. Then check how surrendered your life is. All right. That would determine the strength of your altar. Like I said, the sacrifice on the altar, they will determine the strength of the altar. All right? So another scripture um, to, to this, and, and I wrote here in my, in my jota, right? And I said here that if God can conquer your heart, then he has conquered everything that you have. And this is why God first aims for your heart. When someone gives his life to Christ, the first thing God demands from you is not your money. The first thing God demands is your heart. If someone, um, if, if God wants to begin to work on, on someone, the first thing God looks at is your heart. He doesn't demand your money first. He first demands your heart because God knows that when he, you have, when he has captured your heart and you have given him your heart, then he has captured everything that you own and that, that, that belongs to you. All right. So second scripture, Psalm 24, verse three to six. Psalm 24, verse three to verse 6. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6. It says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
who shall stand in his holy place? So David was asking a question that who is that person that God would allow to ascend onto the hill of the Lord, onto the mountain of the Lord? Who is the person that God will allow to stay in that sacred, that holy place? Meaning, who is the person that God will give the privilege of experiencing what others don't experience on a normal day? Look at his response. He says, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart here means a heart that is concentrated before the Lord, a heart that is undivided before the Lord. This is the person that God will give access to, to certain dimensions. And let me say this, right, that even though the blood of Jesus Christ covers everybody, right, even though the sacrifice of Jesus is, um, is free and is, God loves everybody, God loves everybody without, uh, without consequence or without, um, um, not consequence, sorry, without um, questioning, without, um, you, without qualifications. You don't need to be qualified for God to love you, okay? And that is absolutely true. Meaning God's grace is general. However, there are certain dimensions that God will never allow you into unless you come with a concentrated, <clears throat> with a concentrated heart, excuse me. You understand what I'm saying? So David was saying, who is that person that will ascend to the heel of the Lord? And his response is not, oh, the person that has given his life to Christ. No, his response is the person that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Let me explain what that means. Meaning, you know, in Ecclesiastes, the, the writer says, vanity upon vanity is vanity. What vanity means is you, the person has given himself over to the mundane things of the world. Okay, have you ever seen somebody that bought 17 of the same cars? The only difference is that the car has different colors. Obviously, that person has given himself up to vanity. Of course, you know, having many cars is not in itself a problem. But when there is no, there is no reason for certain actions, that, that means vanity has begun to enter into your heart. Okay, and it is possible for a person to give himself unto vanity because... In fact, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible calls the deceitfulness of riches, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially people who have resources or who have money or who have all of that. When you give yourself up to vanity, there's no longer the, you know, there's something called the fear of God. The fear of God constrains you. As a believer, for instance, you might not just wake up one morning to buy a shoe of $1 million because even if you have the money, $1 million, you will think of the so many things you can do for the kingdom of God with that money instead of buying one pair of shoes. But when someone who has vanity in his heart would not think of those aspects because there is no constraint anymore in his heart. This is what David was talking about. He said, he who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So if this person has not allowed himself to be taken away by the cares of this world, by the deceitfulness of riches, by the so many things that can that can clog the flow of the life of God in the person's heart. David says that this person has consecrated, consecrated himself to this kind of lifestyle, to a lifestyle that is, first of all, for God, it is this person that will, God will grant access to certain dimensions. So again, I say to us that being born again is fantastic, but that's just the beginning of the journey. There are certain dimensions God will not give you access to unless you have surrendered to, and to the extent that he is satisfied and unless you live a consecrated life. <clears throat> okay? Um, all right, uh, verse 5 goes on and on. Let, let's go to the next scripture because of time. Now, we already read Genesis chapter, chapter 4, verse 3 to... No, 
we, yeah, we started reading Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, okay? And I just want to make a reference to something the Bible says, and I want you to first look at this. Um, very instructive here. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to verse 5. All right. Um, trying to round up quickly now. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to verse 5, okay? And in the process of time, it, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord, look at this now, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his sacrifice. And unto Cain and to his sacrifice, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance, you know, fell. My emphasis is what is how the Bible phrases it. It says, God had respect unto Abel, first of all, and then unto his sacrifice. So the first thing God looks at is not even your sacrifice. The first thing God looks at is you. Before God accepts your offering or anything tangible or fiscal that you bring, the first thing he looks at is your heart. Is the heart surrendered unto God? And that's why I said a spiritual sacrifice is the sacrifice that has value in the realm of the spirit. Right, and why is that important to note? Because Peter said in First Peter chapter two verse five that God has called us to be priests to offer spiritual sacrifices, not just sacrifices, but to offer spiritual sacrifices. So the question is, what is a spiritual sacrifice? A spiritual sacrifice is a sacrifice that has value in the realm of the spirit, and we are now beginning to see why. Okay, because not every sacrifice has value in the realm of the spirit. The sacrifice that God values is the sacrifice that is first brought by the person who has been sacrificed. Let me take that again. The sacrifice that God values is the sacrifice that is brought by the person who has first of all been sacrificed. So the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel, first of all, then unto his, unto his offering. So if God, and the reason why God had a respect unto Abel, and I what that means is that God looked at Abraham, um, at Abel's heart, sorry, God looked at Abel's heart and saw that Abel's heart was surrendered unto him, was consecrated unto him. And God had respect first and foremost for Abel's heart before he even looked at his, at his sacrifice. And this is why it, it is just folly for people who steal money and come to pay tithes, you know, because they feel like, oh, let me, I mean, at least I pay my tithe, so God will not be angry with me, even though they stole the money. It is foolishness because God is first looking at your heart before he's looking at your offering, God, before he's looking at what you offer before him, Okay. And a perfect example, again, I will just read this. First Samuel chapter 15. See, let me tell you, the power to a, a powerful life, or sorry, the secret to a powerful life, honestly, is being surrendered to God. There is no two ways about it. And it, it is not an easy thing, I must add, but it is a, a worthy thing to do. All right? So First Samuel chapter 15. Um, we all, most of us already know this. Verse 22. First Samuel chapter 15, verse, verse 22. Um, yes. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So Samuel was asking um, Saul, that do you think that God is more interested in the sacrifice that you are offering or than in your obedience? Then he goes on to say, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. In essence, what, Saul was, what Samuel was telling Saul is that 
You being an obedient and a surrendered person is more important to God than the sacrifice you offer to him. And this is exactly what we saw in the book of Genesis, all right? So the first and the most important sacrifice we offer to God on our altar is the sacrifice of a surrendered life. Meaning God one day wakes up, wakes you up and, and demands something from you, right? The fact that you surrender to it already add, gives you gives you strength, gives strength to your altar. So for instance, maybe you are you're in an argument with somebody and then you had the right point to make, but then all of a sudden God constrained you and said, don't say anything. Rather take the floor for this, be wrong. And, and in your heart, the thing is preparing you, permit my, my, my slang. If they prepare you and you just want to voice it out, but you refrain it because God said you should keep quiet because you got a nudging in your heart to keep quiet. The fact that you surrendered to that nudging of God in itself already is a sacrifice. So a sacrifice is not just that you gave a seed in church or you, you gave your shoe to somebody. No, but that first of all, you are surrendered to God. So God comes and says, oh, I want you to take out certain days of the month and pray and fast. And then you yield to that. That is a sacrifice. That is a surrendered life. And the more you surrender to God, the more your altar is strong. All right. The more, the more rather your altar becomes stronger and stronger. And a time will come just like Elijah, where you need to call fire from above, meaning you need to place a demand on the spiritual realm. And you can do that comfortably and effectively because your altar, you've been strengthening your altar over time. Remember I said the altar is, is the infrastructure by which the physical realm makes contact with the spiritual realm. And for a lot of people, their altar is weak. That's why when they pray, there seems to be no response from the, from the spiritual dimension because there's, their altar is weak. The person making the prayer is not even surrendered to God. So how can the prayer be, be acceptable um, in the realm of the spirit? Okay. All right. So I think that's, I have, that, that should be exp, um, explanatory enough. All right. So I said something here, right? And I will just say two things before we conclude. Or two things as we conclude. Um, first thing I want to say again is that when God, and, and if you understand the way God operates, you would know the importance of miracles, okay? When God gives us promises or, or blessings, okay, there it is God's attempt to, to suck us into the life of surrender and consecration. A miracle is not just a miracle in itself, meaning that a miracle is not just meant to meet a physical need in itself. A miracle is God's attempt to also suck us into deeper realms of consecration and surrender unto him. You understand that? Let me, ex let me explain it with um, two scriptures. Luke chapter 5, verse 8 to 11. Um, I'm not sure we'll read everything. I'll just I'll summarize the story and then I'll probably just read one, one or two verses. But Luke chapter 5... <clears throat> Verse 8 to 11. So at this point, Peter and his and his other friends had toiled all night. They didn't catch anything. And then Jesus Christ came to them, um, in the, came to them and said, said to them, cast your cast your new net in, into the water one more time. And they said, We've tried all night, nevertheless, at thy word. Okay. So they did that and they caught a lot of, of fish. Look at what Peter said in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Meaning Peter caught, did, caught a large amount of fish that he had not caught all, all night, 
all night of toiling with his experience. Yet he said, when he caught it, he went to God, fell down and went to Jesus, fell down and said, depart from me. I'm a man of iniquity. Meaning he, the miracle exposed his flaws unto him. His, the miracle showed the greatness and the, the, the purity of God. Now look at what verse 11 says, okay? Um, verse 11 says, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is, a, this is an irony. Imagine, let me bring this home to us. Imagine someone who is doing a business, right? Person has been struggling with doing, um, with doing 100,000 revenue monthly. And then God comes and visits his business. And then the business suddenly begins to do 5 million naira um, revenue in a month. From 100,000, the person begins to do 5 million naira revenue. This is an answered prayer for any businessman, okay? And yet, look at Peter's response. Peter said he forsook, the Bible says, Peter forsook all and followed Jesus. Now, I'm not saying if you are doing business, you should leave all your business and go into ministry. That's not, that's not the application of this in our lives. But what this shows us from Peter's story is that Peter devoted himself, surrendered himself to Jesus because of the miracle that he caught. What that suggests was that every time God does a miracle in your life, it is not it is not, it shouldn't take you away from God. Rather, it should pull you closer to God. Do you understand what I mean? Meaning that if you, as a businessman, like my example now, you have, begin to do 5 million year revenue, that, that should make you stand in awe of God and it should pull you closer to God in surrender and in consecration because you know that there's no way by your own fiscal effort and power you could have achieved that. So the purposes of miracle of miracles is to draw us to deeper levels of surrender and consecration. Never forget that. Okay. One last scripture for this point. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Malakura Masikaina. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Very interesting um, phrase. It says that, and he humbled the. So Moses was explaining to the Israelites why God did certain things that he did. He says, and he humbled thee, and he suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, meaning he allowed them to hunger, right? To get hungry, and he fed them with manna, which which um, thou knewest not, neither did thy father know. Why did he do that? He says that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Okay, what this means is that the Israelites were when in a period where they needed food, and God allowed them to be hungry. Then God also gave them manna that. Even, neither them nor their fathers ever knew about it. So the, if you ask the Israelites, why did God give us manna? The Israelites would have told you that, well, God gave us manna because he wanted us, because we're hungry and we complained and he gave us manna to eat. And that was the way they would have interpreted it. But Moses came and gave us a deeper insight. And he said, the reason why he gave you manna is not necessarily because you were hungry, but he gave you manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. Meaning God satisfied your needs to teach you not, not to live on your need. Do you understand that? God supplied your need to teach you not to live on that material thing. It's like saying, again, the, the example of the, of the businessman. God opens doors miraculously for the businessman, and then he begins to have $5 million revenue that he had never done before monthly. And then God is now saying, the reason why I brought that revenue is to show you that you don't need money. That sounds ironic, right? But that is the way God works. That every miracle of God is to show us that we don't need to depend on the miracle. Rather, we need to consecrate ourselves more to God. So if God gives you a new job, right? For instance, it is God trying to tell you that 
You don't, should not depend on the salary as your source. God should be your source. See, this is spiritual intelligence I'm giving you. And please never forget this. Because the people of the world will think, oh, if for instance, let me use job now. If God gives me a job, oh, that means God is trying to meet my fiscal needs. And that's, that's a surface explanation. But the deeper spiritual revelation is that God provides for you to show you that he is the source and not, not the thing that he has provided. So God provided manna for the Israelites to show them that they should not live on bread alone, but rather on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God was show, God did that miracle to call them to a deeper level of concentration, concentrating and surrendering themselves to the word of God and not to the manna that was provided. Wow. All right. I really hope that was clear enough. Um, okay. So the second thing I wanted to say in, in conclusion, right, is that, and is, is this, that, Remember, every time we want to see the miraculous, we, we must erect an altar. And that's what Elijah, that's the pattern Elijah showed us. When we want to see a consistent manifestation of the miraculous, then we, an altar must be erected. Okay, and when I was, while I was thinking about this whole concept in my heart, God brought this story of um, Lazarus, you know, in John chapter 11, when Jesus Christ spoke to to. Um, well, just guys came to the tomb of Lazarus to raise him from the dead. And I just want to point something as we conclude. John chapter 11, verse, um, what verse is this? Now, John chapter 11, well, the story can be found in 38 to 44, but uh, we don't have the liberty of time. So I'm just going to read one more, just a verse of scripture. But I, I believe most of us are familiar with this. He came to the tomb, Mary and Martha were crying, and all of that, you know, experience happened. Go to verse 39. Mark chapter, sorry, John chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. So Jesus Christ gave instructions to the people to take away the stone. And Martha began to say, Martha said, um, said unto him, Lord, by this time he is stinking, for he has been dead four days, and all of that, all of that. Verse 41 now says, and they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus Christ lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And then he went out and, and went further and called Lazarus forth. Now, what I want to explain from this is from this story is that Jesus Christ was about to demonstrate a miraculous dimension, a supernatural dimension, okay? But the first thing he told these people was that they should roll away the stone. Meaning, if they did not roll the stone, even though Jesus had the power to call Lazarus from the dead, the stone would have been a blockage to the manifestation of that miracle, all right? Second again is, and I'm referencing this story now, we're not going to read it. When Jesus Christ died and was buried, an angel had to come and roll away the stone from the tomb, okay, from the mouth of the tomb, meaning every time a stone had to be rolled away. And in the story of um, Lazarus, Jesus Christ instru um, instructed the people to roll away the stone. And what the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart is that the stone is synonymous to things that we have not yet surrendered to God. It could be habits, it could be patterns, it could be sin, it could be whatever it is that we've not yet surrendered to God. God is saying, before you see the miraculous power of God, right, the resurrection power of God, you need to roll away that stone. So I am leaving us with these thoughts and with this, with this um, self-reflective assignments. Think of your life and ask yourself, what is that thing that God is demanding from me that I have not yet surrendered to God, that I need to roll away? There might just be... you. The reason why you might not be seeing the manifestation of God in your life the way you would love to see it, right, might just be that there is a stone you need to roll away. And 
Notice that Jesus did not roll the stone. It was the people that rolled the stone, meaning you are the one that would come and surrender that thing. You are the one that will roll it away from your life. You're the one that will surrender that thing unto God. Jesus will not do it for you. God will not do it for you. God will supply the power for resurrection. He would resurrect the dead, but he will not roll the stone away for you. So I'm leaving us with this um, introspective question, right? What is that stone in your life that you need to roll away? What is that stone that you need to surrender unto God? Uh, yes, I know you're a fantastic Christian. You're praying the Holy Ghost. You're doing very fine. But there might just be a dimension of power that God wants to release in your life, but there is a stone that is that needs to be rolled away. So I leave us with this question tonight. Okay, what is that stone um, that needs to be rolled away so that the power of God can be manifested in the name of Jesus Christ? All right, let us pray. Um, I want to pray in, in two minutes, right? Pray in the Holy Ghost in two minutes and tell God I surrender. Tell God I surrender. Maratokoli barasko sukaparikate. Tell God I surrender. There's a song that says I surrender all. all um, I mean I, I don't know. I can't sing very well. But just tell God I, I surrender. Tell God I surrender. Tell God I surrender my time. I surrender first and foremost. I surrender my heart. I surrender my heart to you, Jesus. I surrender my heart to you, Jesus. Rebagata sukatike. I surrender my heart unto you, Jesus. I surrender my heart unto you, Jesus. I want to see the manifestation of your, your power in my life. And so I first of all surrender my heart upon this altar. Let my altar be strengthened. And I firstly surrender my life unto you. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my will to you. I surrender my emotions to you. I surrender my finances to you. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Jesus, I surrender. I surrender unto you. Oh, I surrender unto you. I give all to you. I give all to you. I give all to you. I surrender in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's any part of my life that I'm struggling to surrender, I ask for your grace. I ask for your help. I ask for your empowerment that I will surrender all to you. I will not hold any part um, away, but I surrender all to you. That you'll be Lord of all and not just Lord of some. You'll be Lord of all, not just Lord of some. Every part of my life you'll be lord not just some part but every part i surrender i surrender i surrender all in the name of jesus christ father we bless your name thank you father for in jesus mighty name we have prayed father we thank you in the name of jesus christ we are grateful for today's bible study indeed we surrender all to you and we ask that you help us to surrender even the parts that we are not aware that we have not yet surrendered empower us to continuously live a, live a life of surrender and consecration unto you in the name of Jesus Christ, that our altar would be strong and would be powerful. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, for So this is what we're going to do, right? I would love to hear what you learned from today's Bible study, um, but I might not be able to take... Um, allow everybody to speak right so please do me a favor everybody type in the comments chat in the chat right now in the comments what you have learned from today's bible study that you are going back with please drop it in the comments something that you know was impressed on heart that you learned you know that was emphasized or you learned that you heard for the first time or whatever it is that blessed your heart just drop it in the comments chat before in the uh, in the chat rather before we go okay so while we're doing that please if, is there anyone joining us for the very first time today. I would love to welcome you personally 
So please drop, um, let me know if you are joining us for the very first time on Zoom and on, and, and on MixLR. Very first time joining us, please let me know so we can welcome you. Just tell us your name, introduce yourself, tell us where you're joining us from and who invited you. Okay, um, lastly, announcements. Please drop in your, what you learned. I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading out to us. Um, Bemiga says in, 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 on Mixalar here, he says, a surrendered life to God is the secret to a powerful altar. Absolutely, absolutely correct. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, announcements, right? This Saturday, for the very first time in our history, we are going to have a fiscal meeting in Abuja. So please, I employ every one of us, right? Um, invite someone. If you are in Abuja currently, um, please make it a point of duty to to join us, okay? And um, the details can be will be have have been dropped constantly in our WhatsApp group. Uh, if you have not seen it, you can also check our Instagram, and we'll keep talking about it up until Saturday. So please invite someone or join us fiscally if you are there in Abuja. Yes, it will be streamed online as well. So if you're in Lagos, you can join us online. Um, secondly, is that. Next meeting, next Tuesday is our last Tuesday. Please do not miss it. It's our last Tuesday meeting for the year, rather. That's what I meant. It's our last Tuesday meeting for this year. All right. So next Tuesday, the 14th of December, is our last Tuesday meeting for this year, after which we go on a break and we resume sometime in January. I'll announce the resumption date um, to every one of us. So please don't miss it. It's going to be a, a testimony and praise party. What that means is come ready to share testimonies of God's faithfulness in your life, Come ready to share how this community has blessed you. And then we'll have a praise party celebrating and rejoicing unto God. And also, please, that day, come ready to share, to, um, what's it called, to turn on your videos, yes? So we'll all get to see ourselves and, you know, meet each other. Um, if you're on MixLR, of course, we understand you can't turn on your video. But if you can join us on Zoom, please do that, okay? So never, for, don't forget, please, last meeting is on, on Tuesday, the 14th of December. It's a testimony and a praise party. And then finally, we are meeting in Abuja this Saturday. Okay, to me, in, on Zoom says, God is concerned about you and your heart more than your sacrifice. Very correct and very powerful. Thank you. Cecil on, on Mixer said, I learned that God looks at my heart first before my sacrifice. Okay, pretty much the same thing. Absolutely correct. Um, God bless you. All right. Okay, any question before we go? We're rounding up now. None, none, none. Okay, good. So have a wonderful rest of your day. The recording for this will be up by tomorrow, um, latest by God's grace. All right, God bless everyone. Um, thank you very much. Goodbye. Um, goodbye, rather.